Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete that keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present Episode 3 of From Colchester to Sulawesi a continuing dramatization of their true story, written for Cole Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. The Village The first people to settle this small expanse of Indonesian coast would have paddled their canoes into the inlet between the mangrove forests which dominate the coastline here. They would have run their boats onto the small, mostly black sand beach and gone in search of fresh water. A small stream of clear water still runs through the outskirts of the village, rainwater runoff from the once volcanic mountain which dominates the village on the landward side. This would have given adequate water during the rainy season, but a more reliable source would have been needed, so they dug. They would thus have found that the land here sits upon an extensive subterranean freshwater basin, which despite its adjacency to the salt sea gives clear fresh water at depths varying from 10 to 20 meters. And the first well which they dug is still the primary source of water for the village. They would have cleared the forest to plant their ubi, which we call yams or sweet potatoes, and which formed their staple diet. They would have planted their other vegetables, herbs and spices, kept their chickens, planted their coconut trees for the longer term, and fished the abundance of fish which inhabit local fringing coral reefs. For these were fishing people who had travelled down on their sea-going canoes from the Sangi Talaut Islands, part of the chain which runs northwards from North Sulawesi and eventually becomes the Philippines. On our first visit to the village, we meet Aris, who owns the land that we would like to buy. It was Aris's father who first staked his claim to the land. He came with two other families from the Northern Isles, and these three families still dominate the village and have divided the land between them. Aris tells us via Oni, our guide and interpreter, that there are about 80 families in the village, and they are all Christian, hence the two churches in the village. It is somewhat of a surprise, and one we had not given any thought to, that North Sulawesi is 70% Christian in a country which is predominantly Muslim. We also meet Aris's wife, Sulcha, who plies us with coffee and delicious homemade coconut cakes, and Benjamin, the village headman, whose permission we need to proceed with the land purchase. These people are clearly among the village elders. For one thing, they live in brick houses, whereas most of the village houses are constructed of timber and plyboard. So their status in the village is immediately apparent. Aris joined us for a walk around the land, pointing out the boundaries marked by coconut trees. And in this way, do we get at least an initial idea of how much land is for sale.
We return to Aris's house for more coffee and to discuss the deal. We sit on the terrace in front of the house, as it's far too hot for Phil and I to sit indoors. Air conditioning has not reached Bohowo. We ask about land certification, which we have been told we must obtain to prove ownership. Not unreasonably, we feel, we ask to see the existing land certificate to prove Aris's ownership, only to be told that there isn't one. And there never has been one, it's just his land, and everyone knows it's his land, so that's okay. We are somewhat confused by this. There seeming at the heart of it to be somewhat of a contradiction, but at some point during the discussion, we agree to have a certificate drawn up in Aris's name, so that the certificate can then be transferred into the name of Oni, thus making the ownership and sale legal and official. As foreigners, we cannot own land in Indonesia and must rely upon Oni to act as our Indonesian sponsor. And we do wonder what the problem would be in simply acquiring one certificate in Oni's name. This might save time and expense, after all, but this apparently isn't the way things are done. Aris and Benjamin speak no English, and we speak no Indonesian, but via Oni's interpretation and a good deal of sign language, we manage to make ourselves understood to one another. At the end of a long but friendly discussion with Aris and Benjamin, we agree to buy the land at the price agreed between Aris and Oni before we came to see it, which, had Aris known that we were two foreigners, would definitely have been inflated. But Oni had kept our identity a secret. Once the money transfer has been completed, we will be the owners of about a hectare of semi-jungle on the edge of the Celebes Sea. I can't believe we have done it. The village consists essentially of one road, which is in truth nothing more than a stony track, which runs about 500 meters from the main road. In reality, just a larger stony track, and ends at the beach. From this one track, another track leads off at right angles, at the end of which is the village primary school, above which is our land. We are thus at the very edge of the village, and from our elevated position, we look out over the mangrove forests, to the open ocean beyond. 
the views are magnificent, even from ground level, and from here we can see the three closest islands of Bunaken, Saladen and Manado Tua, which are constituent to the National Marine Park. All of these are volcanic in origin, although Bunaken and Saladen have been eroded almost back to sea level, and Manado Tua is the only island to retain its volcanic shape, being, we assume, much more recent in origin. This part of the mainland, including Bahoo, is also within the park, which gives total protection to the reefs and mangrove forests, and the entire village is otherwise surrounded by forest and coconut and banana plantations. These continue some way up the slopes of our local mountain, above which the forest takes over. There is no running water in the village, but on our land there is a well, so we have water. Mains electricity has been run into the village in quite recent years. About one in every four houses has electricity, and Aris has the only television set in the village. So, to build here in this isolated settlement would be difficult, but not impossible. There is water, and at least the potential for power. And from there, all else is possible. We are, we conclude, about as far into the coastal wilds of Indonesia as it is reasonably practical to be. The people of the village have expressed a willingness to help us with our project, and Benjamin seems pleased that the foreigners are buying land, as this will raise the status of his village. In the evening, we return to the four-star comfort of our hotel, which is only a 10-minute car ride from the village, and this in itself gives us a sense of comfort we are not so far from at least a kind of Western-style civilization, should we need it. So, we have found our place. The idea which began a few months ago in Singapore is slowly and by degrees becoming a reality. The story is unravelling before us, and this, despite the fact that there has in truth never at any time been any kind of a plan as to where the story will lead us. The driving force has always been a wish to live in the Far East. It could have been Malaysia or Thailand, either of which might have been easier, English being widely spoken in these countries. But it will be darkest Indonesia, in a small fishing village, where our future will be decided. Here we will build, eventually, when all legal matters have been attended to, and we have had our first encounters with Indonesian officialdom. But these are bridges that we have yet to cross. We do not yet have planning consent, land ownership, permits to stay any longer than one month in Indonesia, or any real idea as to what we are going to build when we do build. But still, so far so good. And the will and belief that everything will work out in the end is strong in us both. And something has begun, and that can only be a good thing, can't it? In any case, the first settlers here, who would have worked hard to establish the first community, called their newly claimed land Bahowo after the small crabs that are found here in abundance. Only one practical matter, it seems, stands in the way of the sale going ahead, which is that one of the villagers called Marwin actually lives in a simple wooden house on the land we are buying, and he farms bananas. So we agree that we will pay to move his house to elsewhere in the village, thinking that this will entail the taking apart of the house and its rebuilding. But no, instead, Sturdy bamboo poles are inserted under the house 
and with enough of the village men lending their hand, the house is picked up and literally moved to its new location, perhaps giving a new meaning or dimension to the term mobile home. We also agree to compensate Marwin for the loss of his bananas, and all is well, so far at least. Find out what happens when we return to the journey of Phil and Paula in Indonesia in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions here on Cone Radio. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. <laughs>